Okay, in Psalms 8, Psalm of David for the choir director. David's praising God here. He says, uh, How majestic is your name in all the earth. You've displayed your splendor above the heavens. And from the mouth of nursing babes and infants, you have established strength because of your adversaries to make the enemy and revengeful cease. When we consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, which you have obtained, what is man that you care for him? And in Psalm 103, he goes on about uh, God's angels. God's throne is set in the heavens and He reigns in sovereignty over all things. And David says about them in Psalm 103, verse 20, Bless the Lord, you His angels, mighty in strength, who perform His word, obeying the voice of His word. Bless the Lord, all you His hosts, you who serve Him, doing His will. So who's speaking His word? Who's speaking God's word? How does God speak His word in the earth? He speaks through us. And the angels obey His word. So let us grasp the fact that we have a purpose here on earth. What am I that you, God, remember me? In Hebrews chapter 2, verses 5-8, through 8, For He did not subject to angels the world to come, about which we are speaking, but someone has testified somewhere saying, What is man that you think of him? Or a son of man that you are concerned about him? You have made him for a little while lower than angels. You have crowned him with glory and honor. You have put everything in subjection under his feet. For in subjecting all things to him, he left nothing that is not subject to him. But now we do not yet see all things subjected. To him. Psalms 8, verses 4 through 6. He left nothing that's subject to us. But at present, we don't see all things subjected to God's standards. In Romans chapter 8, starting with verse 18 through 21. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Notice he's talking about sufferings. That's what Paul was saying. I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the eagerly awaiting creation waits for the revealing of the sons and daughters of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself also will be set free from its slavery to corruption, into the freedom of the glory of the children of God. His angels obey the voice of His Word and do the work to set things in order as we speak God's Word. In Isaiah chapter 55, verse 10 through 11, For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there without watering the earth and making it bare and sprout, and furnishing seed to the sower and bread to the eater. So will my word be, which goes out of my mouth. It will not return to me empty. Like you said, as the rain and snow come down from heaven and do not return there without watering the earth, and making it bear and sprout, and furnishing seed to the sower and bread to the eater. 
You know how farmers get crops? They have to have seed, right? So they know how to uh, take the seed out, dry the seed, because there's hundreds of seeds in every fruit or vegetable. And you just dry the seeds and plant them again the next, uh, next spring. But without the rain, it wouldn't happen. Rain and snow come along and help the seeds that are buried in the ground sprout. He says, just like that, so will my word be, which goes out of my mouth. It will not return to me empty without accomplishing what I desire, without succeeding in the purpose which I sent it. Does he use our mouth to speak his word? If so, who is voicing his word? King Solomon, you know, Solomon was given the throne by David when David was, was getting old. He gave to Solomon the throne. Of course, one of his brothers was trying to take it over. He had already got a bunch of people together to uh, declare him king. But when Solomon heard about it, he told his father, he said, Father, you know, you, you said that you're going to make me king, and this is what's going on. Is that what you want? So David told all his help to get Solomon ready and get the horse ready and you know, get his meal, I think it was, ready for the ceremony and call all the people together and certain priests, etc. And so they, they made a, a grander appearance than what his brother was doing. So anyway, Solomon became brother, but he, he was kind of worried. He was a pretty young guy. He made a lot of sacrifices, like a, a thousand lambs or a thousand cows or whatever he sacrificed. He'd done this for quite a few times and he, because he was really worried. You know, He thought all these people and all this competition that wants to take over, Father, you know, give me some wisdom, some way to, that I can handle this. And so God said, well, just ask what you want. So Solomon asked for wisdom. So God gave him a lot of wisdom. He was the wisest man in the land. In Ecclesiastes chapter 1, verse 15, one of his words of wisdom was, what is crooked cannot be straightened, and what is lacking cannot be counted. And that's true. If it's not there, you can't count it. If it's crooked, it's not going to straighten out. Crooked people has been proven time and time again that when they go to prison, they might say that they're straightened out and everything to the parole board, but generally speaking, they'll go back and do the same thing they did before. So the crooked, in reality, without Jesus, cannot be straightened. So King Solomon seemed to have the final word on that. But wait now, something new is coming to earth. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14 through 15. Therefore, since the children share in flesh and blood, and he sees us, he himself likewise also partook of the same, so that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who through fear of death were subject to slavery all their lives. In Proverbs 17.22, it says a happy heart is good medicine. So we are freed from the fear of death so we can trust. If we're in fear, we tend to not be able to think straight, to trust anything. Some people will get in so much fear that they're afraid to even move, much less go out of their house. And some people are so afraid they can't leave their house. 
So fear is a real barrier to trust. And without trust, you really can't have a happy heart. But Proverbs 17.22 says that it's a good thing. You know, God's will is for us to have a happy heart. It is good medicine and a joyful mind. A joyful mind causes healing. But a broken spirit dries up the bones. A broken spirit makes you pretty much useless for anything. When you feel like just anything you do is going to be wrong, or anything you do is going to be beat up for, your spirit gets broken. You break a horse's spirit so you can ride it. But when people's spirits are broken, it's not a good thing. 61 years after the birth of Jesus, A.D. 61, in Jerusalem, Paul was in prison. He's writing letters to the different churches that he, that he had started. The church at Philippi was one of his favorites. So in Philippians chapter 4, verse 6 to 7, in the message translation, he says to them, he says, don't fret or worry. Paul was in a pretty bad place in prison because prisons weren't near as nice then as they are now. Pretty dirty and, and nasty, you know. Don't fret or worry. Instead of worrying, pray. Let petitions and praises shape your worries into prayers. Letting God know your concerns. You might not be getting water more than once a day. You may have a, haven't had anything to eat for two or three days. You're concerned about maybe you should get something. You're talking to God about it. You're not worried about it, you're praying. Let petitions and praises shape your worries into prayers. Letting God know your concerns. Before you know it, a sense of God's wholeness, everything coming together for good, will come and settle you down. It's wonderful what happens when Christ displaces worry at the center of your life. Sarah, God came along and, and promised her and Abraham that they were going to have a child when she had been barren all of her life. And she was about 80 years old. But she had a child the next year because she had faith in the promise. They had like one promise. We have a lot of promises. Each one of us has had the opportunity to test our faith, to ask God and actually uh, believe. Uh, and we've seen results. Each one of us has. They may be sort of a hard to see, or you kind of wonder if it really happened because I prayed or because I had faith. But we have all seen it, I'm sure. God's perfect gift is Jesus. James chapter 1, verse 17 says, Every good and every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning difference between a good gift and a perfect gift. As far as I could tell, there's not much difference in the two words. The word for gift is dosis, D-O-S-I-S. -S, and there's a word, dorema, which is a derivative of dosis. It really means giving. A gift and a giving. Paul uses the same word, the perfect gift word, in Romans chapter 5, verse 16. The free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin. For the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation, but the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. 
So without real evidence, I can't really say that there's a difference between good gift and perfect gift. I really believe that the perfect gift is Jesus, and the good gift is everything that he gives. And Jesus is everything, and where everything comes from is from Jesus. It says in John chapter 1 that through him was all things made that was made. How does God know us? Well, in Proverbs chapter 20, verse 27, in the Amplified, it says, The spirit of man, that factor in human personality, which proceeds immediately from God, the spirit of man, that factor in human personality, which proceeds immediately from God, is the lamp of the Lord, searching all his innermost parts. And since he knows us, he came to help us. In John chapter 6, verse 38, for I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. So what God has in store for us is mostly concealed to some degree. It's not hidden altogether. It's for us to search it out. Proverbs 25, verse 2. It is the glory of God to conceal a matter, but the glory of kings is to search out a matter. He doesn't make it too easy, but he doesn't make it impossible for us to find out. Another, another place in Proverbs, I believe it says that what's hidden is God's. What's been revealed to us is ours. So when we find something, when it's revealed to us, it's ours. We have received a lot of revelation that most people don't have. In John chapter 1, verse 14, the Word says, The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we saw His glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. The Word dwelt is tabernacle. He tabernacled among us. He is actually the tabernacle of God. The tabernacle was where people had to go to meet God in those days. But Jesus... He is the man, the one full of God, carrying the kingdom of heaven with it. He brought the kingdom of heaven to earth for all to see, so that people long distances away from Jerusalem wouldn't have to make a long trip to see. He is the tabernacle of God, shown to the whole earth, through his word, through us openly not encased in brick and mortar, but in, in flesh and blood. Not easy, but if we have a hard time understanding, just ask Him. He's right there. In James chapter 1, verse 5, it says, But if any one of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all generously and without reproach, and it will be given to him. He's right there wherever you are, no matter where you go. The Apostle Paul had studied God's Word all his life, but knew nothing until he met Jesus. That was his own confession. He said all, all he had before was nothing. All the studies he had in the Old Testament helped him put some things together, which was the reason that we have a lot of help from Paul, in, in our understanding, in the New Testament. Without Jesus, without the glue that holds everything together, 
there's just bits and pieces of knowledge that you couldn't do anything with except for try to outdo somebody else's knowledge. Well, the Message Bible has a certain ring to it with Paul's writings of the Holy Spirit and wisdom. And uh, so I'm bringing this to you, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 6 through 16 in the Message Bible. It says, We, of course, have plenty of wisdom to pass on to you once you get your feet on firm spiritual ground. Paul had kind of, he spent seven years here and seven years there and went to the mountain that Moses got the law and everything else, just uh, trying to figure out what happened to him. He did a lot of that before he went out and started preaching. So he said, we have plenty of wisdom to pass on to you once you get your feet on firm spiritual ground, but it's not popular wisdom. The fashionable wisdom of high-priced experts that will be out of date in a year or two. God's wisdom is something mysterious that goes deep into the interior of His purposes. You don't find it lying around on the surface. It's not the latest message, but more like the oldest. It's what God determined as the way to bring out His best in us long before we ever arrived on the scene. So if you think you're left out and everything, it's because God wants you to push a little bit harder maybe. It's the way God put it out there so we could grow up. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 8-10 through 10, in the message, the experts of our day haven't a clue about what this eternal plan is. If they had, they wouldn't have killed the master of the God-designed life on a cross. That's why we have this scripture text from Isaiah chapter 64, verse 4. No one's ever seen or heard anything like this. Never so much as imagined anything quite like it. What God has arranged for those who love Him. But you've seen and heard it because God by His Spirit has brought it all out into the open before you. He's put it out there a lot more now in the last few years. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 10-13. through 13, The Spirit, not content to flit around on the surface, dives into the depths of God and brings out what God planned all along. Whoever knows what you're thinking and planning except you yourself. The same with God, except that He not only knows what He's thinking, but He lets us in on it. God offers a full report on the gifts of life and salvation that He is giving us. We don't have to rely on the world's guesses and opinions. We didn't learn this by reading books or going to school. We learned it from God. Remember, this is Paul talking. He went to school. <laughs> you know, he spent uh, years in school. We don't have to rely on the world's guesses and opinions. We didn't learn this by reading books or going to school. We learned it from God, who taught us person to person through Jesus. And we're passing it on to you in the same first-hand, personal way. And then continuing on, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14 through 16. The unspiritual self, just as it is by nature, can't receive the gifts of God's Spirit. There's no capacity for them. It's like trying to learn something in a foreign language. You don't know what they're talking about. But with Jesus, and if you'll just pay attention a little bit, you'll have capacity for hearing about the free gifts from God's Spirit. 
without Jesus, it just seems like so much silliness. Spirit can be known only by spirit. God's spirit and our spirits in open communion. Spiritually alive, we have access to everything God's spirit is doing and can't be judged by unspiritual critics. Isaiah's question, is there anyone around who knows God's spirit? Anyone who knows what he is doing? That question has been answered. Christ knows and we have Christ's spirit. In the Amplified Version of that last part says, But we have the mind of Christ, the Messiah, and do hold the thoughts or the feelings and purposes of his heart. And that's from uh, Isaiah chapter 40, verse 13. Now, in, in 1 Corinthians six seventeen, it says, The one who joins himself to the Lord is one spirit with him. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 16, Paul goes on explaining what he means. He says, Or do you not know that the one who joins himself to a prostitute is one body with her or him? For he says, The two shall become one flesh. And by this reasoning, we can say that we are one body with him also. The word says, that The one who joins himself to the Lord is one spirit with him. And I think that we are one body with him as well, which is why we can have communion with him. We're one body and one spirit with Christ. The crooked made straight. But we were all crooked. We've all been made straight. The former indisputable wisdom of Ecclesiastes chapter 1, verse 15 of King Solomon can be overcome. The crooked can be made straight. And that which is not there can be counted. So there's also another proof that crooked can be made straight. In Isaiah chapter 40, verse 4, Every valley shall be exalted, every mountain and hill brought low. The crooked places shall be made straight, and the rough places smooth. Solomon said by the wisdom of God that God gave him, the crooked cannot be made straight. But we see Isaiah's prophecy of Jesus' full authority by the power of his finished work is a game changer. I died with Christ, nevertheless I live. The life I now live, I live by the faith of the Son of God. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. Not the old things passed away. Behold, new things have come. We are new creations. We're no longer crooked. We've been made straight. In John chapter 10, verse 7 through 9, Jesus said again, I assure you, most solemnly, I tell you that I myself am the door for the sheep. All others who came as such before me are thieves and robbers, but the true sheep did not listen to and obey them. I am the door. Anyone who enters in through me will be saved, will live. He will come in and he will go out freely and will find pasture. Now, I couldn't help but think about some of the things I've read in the Bible about Jesus walking through a door into, uh, to see his disciples. He said, you know, Thomas, put your finger in the hole in my arm, <laughs> in my hand. Put your hand in my side. And then he asked for something to eat too, I think. And, and then uh, he disappeared. And the same, same on, the, on the road to Emmaus with uh, 
he was walking with with a couple. They invited him in, so he came in, and when he broke bread, he disappeared. He went in and out. And that's what I'm thinking here. He said, I am the door. Anyone who enters in through me will be saved, will live. He will come in, and he will go out freely, and will find pasture. And what's pasture but something to eat? What kind of food did he say was food to him? Was telling somebody else about the kingdom of God. So, you know, we'll be going in and out of, of finding pasture because he is the door and the door is in us. We can freely go in or out and come back in. You know, a long time ago, I thought it's good to sit on, on a cloud and play a harp all day. You know? <laughs> so, there's a lot more to it than that. It's not going to be anything boring about the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is righteousness, peace, and joy. In John chapter 10, verse 10 through 12, the thief comes only in order to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have and enjoy life and have it in abundance to the full until it overflows. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd risks and lays down his own life for the sheep. But the hired servant, he who merely serves for wages, who is neither the shepherd nor the owner of the sheep, when he sees the wolf coming, deserts the flock and runs away. And the wolf chases and snatches them and scatters the flock. A thief is a person who steals another person's property, especially by stealth and without using force or violence. Some of the examples of a thief, I think, would be nullifying the grace of God. In Galatians chapter 2, verse 21, Paul said, I do not nullify the grace of God. For if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died needlessly. In 1 John 3, 1, see what an incredible quality of love the Father has given, shown or bestowed on us, that we should be permitted to be named and called and counted the children of God. And so we are. The reason that the world does not know, recognize, or acknowledge us is that it does not know, recognize, or acknowledge Him. A happy heart is a good medicine, and a joyful mind causes healing, but a broken spirit dries up the bones. God came for us to have a wonderful life, to stay out of fear and to be joyful knowing that he has gone before us. He died and showed us the way that we didn't know was there. No death for us once we have him. With him, we go in or out, in or out. Like Paul said to the Philippians, don't fret or worry. Instead of worrying, pray. Let petitions and praises shape your worries into prayers. Letting God know your concerns. Before you know it, a sense of God's wholeness, everything coming together for good, will come and settle you down. It's wonderful what happens when Christ displaces worry at the center of your life. In Jeremiah chapter 9, verse 24, But let him who boasts, boast in this, that he who understands and knows me, and acknowledges me and honors me as God, and recognizes without any doubt that I am the Lord who practices loving kindness 
justice, and righteousness on the earth. For in these things I delight, says the Lord. The psalmist said in Psalms 8, How majestic is your name, O Lord, in all the earth. You've displayed your splendor above the heavens, and from the mouth of nursing babes and infants you have established strength because of your adversaries to make the enemy and revengeful cease. When we consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have obtained, what is man that you care for him? He cares for us because he can love us and we can love him and we can speak his words and know his thoughts and purposes. Thank you, Father God, for uh, this word. I just ask you to bring it forth to those that need to hear it. In Jesus' name, and to uh, be a blessing to all that hear. Thank you, Father God, for this day. Thank you for making a way for us to have a good time with people, showing the light of your glory through ourselves, and speaking your word when we can get a chance to do it. In Jesus' name. This is Mark Testerman, Senior Pastor of Triumphant Grace Ministries. I want to say thank you for listening to the finished work gospel of Jesus Christ. I pray that the good news found throughout the message has richly encouraged you in the love of the Father. Friends, this podcast is supported by the generous financial support of its listeners. And if today's message has ministered to you, then would you consider a gift that ministers back to us? You can text the word GIVE G-I-V-E to 833-632-1315 or you can visit triumphantgrace.com and donate through PayPal or credit card. The cornerstone scripture for Triumphant Grace Ministries is found in Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 14. For by one sacrifice, he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. Great grace, such grace, triumphant grace to you. God bless you.